does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way. The same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Let us ask God's blessing. Father, with your, with your word, this gospel, open before us. We pray you would open our hearts by your spirit and feed us. Have your way with us, for it is a good way, the way of salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. Well, I'd love it if you have your Bibles with you. I want you to notice a few things. If not, I'll try to direct you from up here as well. Passage again begins, verse 1, most assuredly or verily, verily, or amen, amen. Jesus is making a vow as he says this. Most assuredly, I say to you, he says, most assuredly, I say to you, who are the you? Who's he speaking to? This begins chapter 10, and the antecedent is important. The antecedent, what is the you referring back to? Uh, it's really important, I hope you'll see this in a minute, because it kind of changes the whole, what your initial feel of what chapter 10 is if you just lift it out of the context. There's actually much more here than maybe what we usually see. This antecedent is important. Jesus is continuing his discussion with the Pharisees who had followed him out of the temple and were with him when he spoke the words of salvation, you might recall, to the blind man who received his sight, but then were excommun was excommunicated by those same Pharisees. In fact, so read chapter 9, verse 35 and following with me into chapter 10. Verse 35, Jesus heard, so this is the whole story of, of the blind man who had received sight, who's then interrogated by the Pharisees and then kicked out, excommunicated from the church um, by, by, by these authorities. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, verse 35, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Jesus is continuing on this conversation with the Pharisees. It's important to note that this, is, this discourse then, that just chapter 10, is communicated towards those Pharisees, the offended Pharisees, who said to him, well, are we blind also? These teachers of Israel who thought that they were the ones who knew how to keep the law and how to direct people to keep the law and how to direct people to follow after God, but really to their own ends, to their own economic ends in many ways. This discourse, which will later include the famous, I am the good shepherd phrase, 
does not take place in a serene setting. Look uh, just a couple of verses down where he, he says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. Verse 11 also, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. You can find that verse on a, on a beautiful um, poster, and it's serene, and it's a picture of the fields. And, and it's true. It's wonderful. He is the good shepherd. He leads us to good pastures. But that's not what's in the mind of the people who are hearing Jesus speak this in this context. Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd, and you're not. I'm the true shepherd, and you are the false shepherds. It wouldn't been, there wouldn't have been this feeling of, of, of sweet, easy peacefulness going on in the midst of this discourse, but rather a war, a war of words that were, was going on, a war of words that would lead to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So this discourse is not in the midst of a peaceful setting. There are two clashing worldviews at war here. Either Jesus Christ is the only door and the true shepherd the only way and the only savior, or he isn't. He's a, he's a fool. He's a liar. He's a lunatic. He's, he's not what he says he is. Either he is or he isn't. And he's the one who's standing here saying, I am the true shepherd. And I am the door. And in these few verses that I'm going to look at here, Jesus strings together different metaphorical uses of a door and a doorkeeper to challenge all who would not commit to him. So let's look at the verse in light of these, these verses in light of the context as we dive in. Listen again to the first uh, two and a half verses. Most assuredly, I say to you, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens. So let's consider that for just a moment. So first we have a doorkeeper. Um, A a doorkeeper is a a watchman, someone who um, patrols um, this area and only allows in a true shepherd to go in and get the sheep. He's there to protect the sheep during the night. He's there to make sure the sheep remain safe. He will only allow the true shepherd, the one who owns the sheep, into the sheepfold to call his flock. The the thieves and robbers, these are false shepherds. They're not allowed in the door, and and a good doorkeeper keeps them out. These details would be very familiar to John's readers. You see, in in larger towns, in in larger villages and towns, you'd have many shepherds who would all have their own flock. At night, as they returned into the village, there might be a large common area where all of the sheep would be brought in. And then those sheep would be kept there over the night, and the doorkeeper, this watchman, would keep guard all night to protect the sheep from thieves or wild animals. And in the morning, the watchman, recognizing the true shepherds, Yep, you're one of the guys. Show me your ID. Yeah, I know who you are. Go ahead. Go get, the, go get your sheep. He would allow them then to go in and call their own sheep back to them, and they go off out into the pastures. So that's the image that's in the mind of, of, of the Pharisees, of, of this first century crowd, as Jesus is saying these words. The watchman identifies the true shepherd. So that's what's going on here. But um, um, the, the, um, verse 2, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens. The doorkeeper only opens to the the true shepherd, the shepherd of the sheep, and not to anyone else. And in the context of the book of John, in the context of of the gospel of John, this watchman 
who is going to allow only the true shepherd to go in is, of course, John the Baptist. We've seen John the Baptist. He's come up over and over and over again throughout, throughout the Gospel of John. And he's been pointed to regularly as the witness to the one who's the one who says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, who takes his own followers and sends them to Jesus, who calls out to the Pharisees that they are stiff-necked, that they're the ones who need to repent. He's the one who's been the doorkeeper saying, Don't follow these guys. There's the one that you want to follow. He's the doorkeeper. He's the watchman. But John the Baptist also represents the, he's he's known as the final prophet of the Old Covenant. He he represents all of the Old Testament prophets. He agrees with all of the prophets who themselves were watchmen of Israel. Ezekiel specifically is called this a watchman. Ezekiel 33, 7, uh, the Lord says to Ezekiel, So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel, doorkeeper for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth. I'm the, right, I'm the, I'm the true shepherd. I'm the, I'm the one with the true words. And you will bring that. You will deliver that. You'll deliver me to the people. You shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. That's what a watchman would do. That's what this, this shepherd uh, or this, this doorkeeper over the sheep would do. The Old Testament and the prophets identify Jesus as the promised Savior, for he comes fulfilling all their prophecies. And John has been pointing out many, the, the, the synoptic gospels spend much more time um, showing us particularly how the Old Testament prophecies with regard to Christ are fulfilled in Christ, and that he truly is the Savior, the promised Savior that was coming. He is the true shepherd, as opposed to the thieves and robber, robbers who had come to kill the sheep. And so verse 10, later on, says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have more they may have it more abundantly. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn beyond Ezekiel 33, speaking of the watchman, to Ezekiel 34 and the description of what God is going to do with the wicked shepherds and a true shepherd. Ezekiel 34, here's part of the prophecies. This would be also in the minds of anyone. If, if Jesus is going to talk about sheepfolds and doorkeepers, watchmen and sheep, and you're a reader of the Old Covenant, you know Ezekiel 34, Ezekiel 34 should come to mind. Ezekiel 34, let me read the first uh, 10 verses. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who were sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost, but with force and cruelty you have ruled them. This is a a picture, metaphor that's being brought upon the the false leaders, the false teachers of the sheep. And Jesus is, uh, God is saying to them, you're wicked shepherds. You're not doing, you're you're consuming the sheep instead of instead of feeding and protecting the sheep. Verse 5, so they were scattered, these sheep, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and no one was seeking or searching for them. You allowed, you teachers of Israel, allowed all of the false gods to be brought into the temple. You worshipped all the false... You didn't protect my people. Instead, you led my people to the beasts who then devoured them. 
Verse 7, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, says the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became food for every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, nor did my shepherd search for my flock, but the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, O shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand. I will cause them to cease feeding the sheep and the shepherds shall feed themselves no more. For I I will deliver my flock from their mouths that they may no longer be food for them. The picture was a promise that God was going to rescue his people from the false shepherds, from the thieves and the ro- who in fact were actually thieves and robbers, um, uh, feeding themselves with the sheep rather than taking care of the sheep. And drop down to verse like 20, verse uh, 21. Because you have pushed with the side and shoulder, butted all the weak ones with your horns and scattered them abroad. Therefore, I will save my flock and they shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. Of course, this is written hundreds of years after David has died. This is a prophecy about another David, a greater David, a greater shepherd king who would come and be the one shepherd They're looking for the true shepherd who will feed the sheep. I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. These words, these ideas, these visions would be in the, the minds of anyone who had spent their time studying the old covenant law. The Pharisees Jesus is speaking to are those false shepherds in his day. That's who they are. Devoted to their own gain, willing to excommunicate the man whose eyes Jesus had restored. This would only be the beginning of savage persecution of the Jews, of the Christians, in the days when John is writing his gospel. Remember, John is writing his gospel several decades after um, Jesus um, has um, died, risen again, and ascended to heaven. And the the Christian church is under persecution And it's under persecution primarily by the Jews at that time, primarily by the Jews who are, are, and we looked at this before, Saul leading the the way, um, dragging people into prison, you know, they lose their jobs, they lose their family, they lose their lives because because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That persecution then continues on, the Romans begin persecuting the Christians, and every century since then... There are false shepherds, those who teach false doctrines, serve false gods, and say that for the sake of peace or unity, for the sake of, um, of, of the greater good, we are going to destroy the Christians. We're going to put down the Christians, the Christian faith, the Christian community. We are putting them down. It hasn't ended. This ongoing persecution, and that's what Jesus is talking about um, as, he, as he's speaking to the Pharisees in the first verses of chapter 10. So Jesus is the true, true uh, shepherd, he says. The rest of you, uh, the, the rest of you leaders, he's saying, to the, to the group of the Pharisees, you are the thieves and robbers. So continuing on, verse 3, um, uh, the second half of uh, verse 3 through 6, let's follow this. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. They were not making the connections. 
And maybe you're not either. But remember, how many times have we seen through the Gospel of John these times where um, it says that many turned and believed and followed Christ? And this would create great envy amongst the Pharisees. They, they didn't want people, they didn't want these crowds going and, and following Christ. They were against it. But it was as though Jesus would speak or he would, he would perform some sign and then he would teach. Or John the Baptist would point his disciples and hordes of people are following after Jesus. So many so that at one time he's got to feed 5,000 men and all of their families. He, he's a problem. He's a problem. And, and, they, and they might be watching and they go, why are they following this guy? And Jesus says, well, I'll tell you why. And, he, and the, the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger. They stop following the stranger. They follow their, the one true shepherd. So, now in these common sheepfolds, so you have all these different shepherds bringing in all of these sheep into the common sheepfolds during the night. All the sheep intermingle. They have a little party all night long, right? And then the shepherds come in in the morning. The shepherds come in the morning, and each shepherd would come and call his own sheep. They would have a, they would have a, a particular call to, that their, their sheep would hear their voice. Um, uh, go to YouTube and, and look at shepherds um, calling out for their own sheep, and, you'll, and you can see this. To this day, this kind of thing goes on. Um, so they, they would call their own sheep, and only their own sheep would come to their call. Um, only, the, only his own sheep would hear and respond to his particular voice. He might even call, you know, there's, there's little, there's, um, you know, a little twisted foot over here or something. He calls him twisted foot because he's not coming quite. Come on, twisted foot, let's go, come on. You know, he might call some by, by own pet names that he's given uh, his own sheep as well, and then those ones would come to him. Of course, this is what happened with the man born blind, right? That's exactly what's going on here. All the Pharisees are there. They see the sign or they hear about the sign. They, they interview and interrogate. The words of Jesus are, are brought to bear. The testimony of the man is sure. They've heard Jesus speak. They can't hear anything. They can't see anything. But the one who is born blind is, is given the gift of sight. <clears throat> and it, it's like, how did you do that? How, how did you call just that one out there? So this is what happens. John, look at John 9, 3. Jesus answered, neither... Remember, they ask, um, why is this man born blind? Is it because of his sin or because of the parent's sin? Is it something that happened in the past? And Jesus says, no, it's because of something that's about to happen in the future. It says, Jesus, neither this man nor his parents sin, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. Let me show you how I know my sheep and how my sheep know me. He tells the man what to do, and the man goes and he receives his sight. And then verses 35 through 38, which I read, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and he turns to him and says, do you believe in the Son of God? He goes to this man who's been kicked out by the thieves and robbers. He says, do you believe in the Son of God? And, and the man answers, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus says, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. And then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. He bowed down before him. He heard the voice of the Savior. He had the, vo the voice, this, he had already been saved, in, but his sight had been saved, but at that moment, his soul was saved. At that moment, he is brought to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, it says in John 6, that no one can come to Jesus unless the Father draws him. So the purposes of the Father and the Son are united together. The unbelieving Pharisees <clears throat> did not recognize the voice of Jesus because they were not of his sheep. 
That's what ten, that's what, and so verse 6 says, Jesus used this illustration, but they didn't understand the things which he spoke to them. They're the, they're the, they're the scholars. <laughs> they're the smart ones. This is just some, some normal guy who just is blind. He's, he probably hasn't received any kind of education. He's probably just been out begging his whole life. He understands who Jesus is. The scholars of the Old Testament, the scribes and the Pharisees who, who, who said we've got to follow every jot and tittle, and then some, they don't understand what Jesus is saying. They don't understand because, he, um, because they were not of his sheep. Late, later on, Jesus will say in, in chapter 10, look at verses 26 and 27, he says, but you do not believe, still speaking to them, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. So this whole discourse is, is talking about, is commentary on the event that took place with the, the blind man and the Pharisees' recognition of, of a threat and kicking that man out. They want, to, they want sheep their own way and, and, and for, them, uh, for themselves. They don't want sheep following Jesus. Well, so what's going on here? One of the things that you should see is, this is a really a wonderful illustration of both a general call to salvation, a general call to faith, and the effectual call of election. Both are going on here at the same time. There's a call to all to come. Jesus is openly preaching. He's, he's openly ministering, and some believe and some don't. But, but there's an open invitation for all to come and believe. It's, it's legitimate. It's sincere. The call goes out to the entire sheepfold. But at the same time, only those who recognize the voice of the true shepherd actually hear the call. Many are called, but few are chosen, Jesus says, is recorded in Matthew chapter 20. If I have a Bible, I'd like you to just look with me at Romans chapter 8 and, and just consider a couple of things here that I think helps to make sense of this general call and the, and the effectual call at the same time. Romans chapter 8, I'm just going to start verse 30, I'm going to kind of go backwards. Romans 8, 30 says, Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. So once you're justified, those who are justified are going to be glorified. And it says, um, we, should, we should look at this, and it says, Whom he called, these he also justified. So, we know that not all are justified. We know that some are, are going to be condemned. They don't hear and they don't respond. But there's a particular kind of call that he's referring to, and those that are called, he says, are justified. So who are the called? Well, look at the preceding verse. The preceding verse tells us, whom he predestinated, these he also called. So these called, the called ones who are then justified are the ones that were predestinated to do so. And who are the predestinated? Well, again, it says um, in, in back in 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So the, who, who is it that is predestined? Those whom God foreknew. Those whom God foreknew, that is, promised a covenantal love to change them. Who, who are they? Who are the ones whom he foreknew? Well, again, I can go backwards to, to, to verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who, are, who love God, to those who are the called, there it is, who are the called according to his purpose. Who are the ones, that, the ones who are called according to the purpose are the ones whom he foreknew, whom he predestinated, 
called, justified, and glorified. They are the called, and notice, they are the called, not because of anything in them, but solely upon his sovereign purpose. Those, uh, he says, um, verse 28 again, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Not according to their purpose, not according to anything in them, but according to the special election of the sovereign God, his own will and decision. That's what Romans 9 is all going to deal with. Romans 9 is going to deal with this. Well, how does this all work out? How, does, how, how is it that God can say, you're all Israel, and then not all Israel is Israel? And, and he will go on and say that, for instance, when he's choosing between Esau and Jacob, he chooses Jacob, but not according to anything that either of them are or going to be, but according to his own personal, his own personal counsel. In Ephesians 1, um, we, we hear the same kind of... of definition about those that he chose. It says in Ephesians 1, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. So this calling, this calling is the work of a sovereign God who says, now. And when he says that, there's a general call to the world, but there's a special call that he who predestined those that he would call would come in faith to him. In fact, he knows it even, he wants to make this point that he even knows, their, knows them by name. It's not just a, a, a general, that some are going to be saved. He has a like, like he's um, saying the probabilities are pretty good that some are going to be saved when I, when, I send, when I send out this call. You know, I know specifically my sheep by name. To him the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. I want to hunker down on that for a minute for you. Jesus knows the name of each of his own before we even come to him. For they were given to him before the fa- foundation of the world. That's what Ephesians 1 is telling us. Our salvation begins with his personal call to those that he already knew by name. Remember, we saw that when, with Nathanael in, in chapter 1. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. I knew you when you were under the fig tree. I knew that but before I saw you, I saw you. Before you saw me, I saw you. Before you called on me, I called you. John, 30, John 6, 36, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Oh, do you hear the confidence, the confidence of your Savior, who knows He knows who are his, and he knows them by name. And his work on the cross was not a work of of defeat, but a work of procurement, an atonement, a redemption, a work to fulfill what he had come to do perfectly 
so that you by name, you by name would be washed in the blood of Christ. You by name would be granted a new heart. You by name would have your destiny written out by the, the triune God, you little pipsqueak. Everything about you and your life, all the way to glorification, written out by the one who would love you, who would send his son to die for you, who would make, by his promise, everything right. That's what the gospel is talking about. That's what he's saying about you. You, if you've heard his voice, that's what he's saying to you. Jesus knows the name of each of his own. He calls you personally, and he calls you personally with a name just between he and you. Remember I said that the shepherd would call the sheep by name, Jesus said, and we know that, that shepherds oftentimes would have little pet names for their, their sheep and would call each one individually to him, like you do with your dogs. They, they, you, would call, you call them by name. Well, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. There's an, there's an intimate name calling between the Lord and you. He knows you in a way that nobody else does. You know him in, in a way that Nobody else does. You have a, it, it, is, it is true that we are one, that we are the one church, but very personally, individually, Jesus Christ knows you like no one else does. He has a name for you according to who you are and what he's doing with you. This is chapter 10. It's sandwiched between the call of the man born blind and the call of Lazarus out from the grave. You should consider... 9, 10, and 11. In fact, you should go all the way back to 7, because so, we have the Feast of Booths going on, Feast of Tabernacles. At the end of this, we have this experience that is taking place um, with the man born blind. We'll move into the Feast of Dedication in winter in the middle of chapter 10, and, and then we'll have the story of Lazarus. But all of it together, we have 10 sandwiched between the call of the man born blind and the call of Lazarus from out of the grave. Standing before the door of the tomb, the true shepherd would call out, Lazarus, come out. These are all connected. Displaying his power, his authority, the fact that he is the shepherd, and Lazarus would hear, a dead man would hear. How does a dead man hear? I have no idea. A dead man would hear and get up and walk out of the grave. Walk to the door of his salvation. This is the power and authority of Jesus Christ to call the spiritually dead sinner into salvation and eternal life. So Jesus is, Jesus is the true shepherd who calls his own and calls his own by name. And then, so we have Jesus as the shepherd, we have the doorkeeper, and then all of a sudden he flips the metaphor around <laughs> and it messes with all of us. You've got to stop and listen. So seven, eight, and nine. Then Jesus said to them again, most surely I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Well, is he the door or is he the shepherd? You just kind of messed with my metaphor here, Jesus. We, we, we began with Jesus being identified as the true shepherd at the door, <coughs> and now he says he is the door. But this isn't confusing to first century, to, to first century shepherds and sheep and people. 
It's not confusing if you know about the rustic sheepfolds out in the fields. <coughs> These were smaller and less substantial. They were piles of rocks, thistles put on top, keep the sheep from squishing through, and then a little opening. But just an opening amongst the, uh, amongst the rocks. And after bringing in the sheep, the shepherd would lay his own body across that space to protect the sheep. The shepherd would lay his own body across the space to protect a sheep. He became the door. The shepherd was the door. All of his sheep came in at his call and were saved. And all who would come out by his call would be led by him to find pasture. So listen to 7, 8, and 9 again. Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He's the only shepherd here. It's all his sheep, and he's the only shepherd. And everyone else who would lead, try to lead him, try to lead you anywhere else other than to Jesus Christ, other than to the full and complete doctrine of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is a thief and a robber trying to destroy you. Any other system <clears throat> trying to teach you that there is another way, that there is another door, is a thief and a robber. There is only one shepherd. He is the door, and, when you, and he is the one who's let you in outside from all of, the, all of the wild beasts, all of the thieves and robbers, all those who could attack you, and he keeps you safe in his sheepfold. And he's the one who lets you out in freedom to new pastures, to be nourished and fed and find life. And he'll talk about that in the very next verse, but I'll wait. I'll wait until next time. But consider this. Consider verse 9. Just sit there with me. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Notice it doesn't say, um, it doesn't say, I am the door. If anyone enters, he will be saved. Okay? You can't get in except by the door. He's the door. If, it says, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. No one can, no one will, no one wants to enter by Jesus or by himself, or I'm sorry, by, by ourselves, for we are all by nature dead in trespasses and sins. In Philippians, Paul writes, it is granted on behalf of Christ that we believe in him. It's, it's a gift that we are able to believe in him. It's something that is given to us. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 is made very explicitly clear about this, that for by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works that lest anyone should boast. We only come when the Father draws us. We only believe when Christ, by his Spirit, empowers us. Is all gift. We come by him into the door. By means of this true shepherd, we will go in and out. Interestingly, this is exactly what Moses, shortly before his death, asked for his sheep, for he was a shepherd of God's people. It's the end of, it's the end of Moses' life. He knows that God has said, you will not take the people in the promised land. And so he prays, Lord, they need a new shepherd. Now listen to the words of Moses in Deuteronomy. Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, Set a man over the congregation who may go out before them and go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep which have no shepherd. And God answered that prayer and provided Joshua to be the next shepherd of God's people. And Joshua is a type 
of a greater Joshua. In fact, Joshua is the Hebrew, um, it's the anglicized of the Hebrew, Yeshua. Jesus is the Greek translation of the name Joshua. The anglicized Greek translation of the name Joshua. Jesus, if they, whenever they would speak Aramaic, if they spoke Aramaic or spoke Hebrew, <clears throat> he would have been called Joshua. You would, you would hear him called Yeshua, right? So Jesus is the greater Joshua. And as Joshua brought God's people into the promised land, so the greater Joshua brings his sheep into the new creation where we partake of all that we have inherited in him. All that we've inherited in him. He leads us in and out, and we've inherited it all in him, for it has all been given to him. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. 1 Corinthians 15 will go on to describe he sits at the right hand of God until all the enemies are made his footstool. And then he will come again where there's only the last, the last enemy that is really reigning anymore upon this earth, and that enemy will be death, and the general res- resurrection will take place, and we'll see that he was even victorious over death. And he says that all things, that Jesus says, all things that have been given to me I give to you. All the inheritance is ours in Christ. So we see him as shepherd and king, as Joshua And David, we see him as the shepherd king. He is the door, the only way to salvation and freedom. The only way to salvation and freedom. And some argue there are many ways to God, and this is true. But all the other ways lead to to King Jesus who will rightly judge and condemn you in your sin. There are other ways to God, but all the other ways lead to condemnation, judgment. There is one way that leads to salvation and freedom. And, it, and the call is made. And the call is made, preachers are watchmen. Okay, here's something weird. Um, my name is Hatcher. My name comes, is, is an English name, and it means the one who, who lives by the hatch. He is oftentimes the doorkeeper, the gatekeeper of the city or the slough or the field. He is a hatcher. He lives by the gate. He lives by the hatch. That's where the name comes from. A hatcher, a watchman, a doorkeeper is one who makes the call and, 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 and gives a call all out, everywhere, gives a warning. If he's a faithful doorkeeper, he speaks only the words of God and he sends them out, sends those words out to draw all into him. And he has absolutely no power in himself to bring, make anyone change their mind, none whatsoever. All I can do, all a preacher can do, and it doesn't matter how many dog and pony shows he puts on. He cannot change the heart of anyone. He cannot draw anyone in. All he can do is make a general call. But there is one who's, who promises that in the midst of that general call, he will specially call. By means of his Holy Spirit, he will specially call and draw men to himself. And that is the only assurance that is given to, the, to a preacher. The only assurance is that you have been ordained to go out and give the, the, uh, the general call, and you are to trust me to make the special call. And the rest of you sit here, the rest of us sit here, when someone is making that kind of special call or general call, and you wonder, how does this work? Are you telling me that, that Jesus knows that, that he's, this general call is being made, and he intends not to call some to himself, and he intends to call others to himself? How does this work, and how do I know which call it is? And, and the answer is, it's none of your business. 
The answer is to heed the call. The answer is to heed the call. Do you want to be like the Pharisees who listen to these words and say, I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know what in the world is he talking about? When are we going to lunch? Or do you want to be like the man who was born blind, left with no hope in the end, until he hears the words of Jesus who tells him to go and take this mud, put it in his eye, and then go wash in the pool of Siloam and have your eyes made open? Which story do you want to be in? That's, that's a good question. The good question isn't, well, how do I know if I'm part of the special election or I'm part of the, or part of the general election? No, the good, story, the, the good question is, which story do you want to be in? Which story do you want to be in? Because you are in one of those two stories. Now, here, now think about this. In, in verse 9, it also says, I am the door. If anyone, anyone, If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Anyone means anyone. It means those, who, those Pharisees and other Jews who called for Jesus' crucifixion and then mocked him on the cross, but to whom Peter preached the gospel at Pentecost and many were saved. Shared my testimony this morning in our Sunday school class and our foundations class. I was one of those who mocked the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and mocked the person of Jesus Christ. It means the goody two-shoes who has never committed a notorious sin. That's not me. It means the goody two-shoes who has never, con- who has never um, done any kind of a bad sin, but realizes her heart regularly breaks God's holy law. The one who knows that she doesn't really know him. It means a man who has lived for himself at whatever cost to others, doesn't care. It means those who, with means to sin open-handedly and brazenly in front of all because of their political office, because of their power, because of their wealth. It means those religious types who dabble in church but never, never make a true commitment. It means those who are broken from a life of hardship and have turned a despairing and bitter heart away from God. How could a good God let this happen? It means anyone who has mocked God and the gospel of Jesus who think Christians are extremists to believe that everyone must believe what the Bible says is true and is true for everyone. It means those who say that Jesus may be a door, but not exclusively the door. Anyone means anyone. How do you reconcile the general call and the special call? It's like this. Before you is the cross. Before you is the gospel presented. Jesus Christ died for sinners. He died for all sinners all kinds of sinners, any kind of sinner. His blood is sufficient for any sin. His blood is is sufficient for your sin. Before you is the cross. It has a door in it, and you are called to go through. On this side of the cross facing you is written these words, whosoever will may come. You stand there and somehow decide to go through. You believe, and the burden of your sin drops away, You're safe and free, and for the first time in your life, you experience joy and peace before God. Joyfully, you turn and see written on the backside of that cross that you have just passed through, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And there is the reconciliation of the general call and the special effectual call. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way, and you have been called. Yes, y'all have been called, but I'm speaking to you in the name 
and authority of Jesus Christ, as a minister of his gospel, I'm speaking to you. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the way. And you have been called. There is for you a pasture of eternal satisfaction before you. You're a dumb and dirty sheep. You are easily led astray. You're like all the rest of us. Thieves and robbers, sin and and misery have been at your heels. But you have heard a voice. You have a shepherd. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let's pray.